Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Everybody, it's the three questions with Andy Richter. I'm talking to Mark Marin. I don't know when they're going to start this thing, but we've started. Oh, do you have? We've started, but oh, so there's a like you have a theme. Yeah, yeah, but it, it they just dropped that in at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I do. Yeah, so the the theme is three questions. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the gist of the. It's three questions, which are uh, where do you come from, where are you going, and uh, what have you learned, and <laughs> why are you yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. What's your fucking deal? Why are you the way you are? The gimmick of this thing is just really just a reason to have a conversation. I mean, it's I mean, it's yeah, it's not dissimilar to your podcast, sure. which is like an interview about like, you know, what's your, well, it's good what's to see your you. deal? It's good to see you, too. Yeah. Yeah. We've known each while. other for a gazillion years. It's crazy, really, yeah. when you think about, you, you know, sometimes I. I, I I get thrown a a clip on Twitter of me on Conan yeah, yeah. in like ninety ninety four yep. ninety five yeah and it's crazy yep you know that we're children and we're sitting there you're in a suit I know no <laughs> Conan's I, in a suit I don't yeah and I don't feel uh, like I mean obviously something's changed but I don't feel any fucking different except for when I then I look at those things and I think like oh yeah I. I was 12 years old and I, yeah, there's I, I that did, part of it. I yeah. didn't even really know how to be on television, you know, not that I, you know, well, anyway, uh, let's start at the beginning, your beginning. Okay. Um, sure. fr- you were born in the East coast, right? Somewhere. Yes. I was born in Jersey city, New Jersey. I do not have any recollection of that yeah. day. Um, it, you know, I, I assume I was crying. I was bloody yeah, and messy. Yeah. Uh, I was a cesarean because uh, that was what they right. did then. I was told two things by my mother. Cesarean was preferable and breastfeeding was not good for me. Not good so, for you in what sense? They just didn't do it then. Oh. It was not a popular thing. The, the ladies didn't so do I the think breastfeeding. It was, and my it was, was not good for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. She did. You know, she uh, she recently said to me, Andy, a few years back, you know, after years of trying to figure out what was wrong with me, uh, just casually, uh, as I was uh, prepping a Thanksgiving dish, uh, my mother just said, you know, Mark, when you were a baby, I, I didn't really know how to love you. And I'm like, wow. OK, well, that uh, that solves it then. I'm fixed. So that was <laughs> there we go. You know, there there's some it. there's some honesty between a parent and a child that isn't necessary. Dude, it but as they get older, they don't know that anymore. Uh, you know, there, there's the statute of limitations runs yeah, out. Yeah. You know, you got, I got my dad going. Like, you remember mom's friend? And I'm like, yeah, I don't need to oh. hear about it. You know what I did? So <laughs> you mean like, like remember mom's <laughs> friend? I nailed mom's friend, that kind of thing. Now, yeah, oh. that kind of stuff. And I'm sort of like, you know, keep that to yourself. They're not together anymore, but still it's like, I talked to her and I don't need to, you just, you yeah, can die yeah. with that secret. My so, father one time told me, and my father who is out and gay and, and that was the reason yeah. that they, that they split up. Once uh, told me about uh, his and my mother's frequent simultaneous orgasms. Oh, that's and this wasn't you even know. like this was not late onset. This was like when I was seventeen, <laughs> and it's like yeah. I honestly I don't I don't need to know that. I mean, that's you're, great. You're, you're struggling, Congrats. struggling with understanding yes, one orgasm. Yes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they they do that. There's too much information happening as they get older. Yeah, so Jersey, born there, and then I lived there for the first six or so years of my life in uh, Pompton Lake, or we're Wayne, New Jersey, Wayne, and uh, my grandmother was in Pompton Lakes. My grandparents, all the families from is Jersey. that that's where everybody was from. 
Yeah, yeah, they yeah we go from uh, pretty much Russia uh-huh. to Jersey. Yeah, and then uh, you know uh, Galicia in the Ukraine, which I learned from uh, doing the show uh, Finding Your Roots with uh, oh, Henry nice. Gates. Oh, nice! You got to do that. That's uh, fun. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, they were very excited because they somehow were able to track my paternal uh, line further back than they than than they've ever gotten with uh, Eastern European oh, Jews. Wow. And I'm like, well, great. Yeah. So there's so. Um, uh... Uh, sort of an excessive self-awareness has been a hallmark of your family for many, many years. <laughs> no, apparently they were tailors. So I, but they needed people know. to yeah, know, they, you know? Yeah. I know. It's like, I think the bigger problem is, is like, you know, which group of anti-Semitic uh, monsters, uh, you know, got rid of the records <laughs> and the people. That's oh, really I what see. happens. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, six, and then my dad, uh, enlisted uh, or was drafted. I'm not clear into the air force where he, he was a doctor. So he did his, his internship at uh, metropolitan hospital in New York. And I think he did his residency through the air force. He entered the air force as a major and we moved to Alaska for oh, wow. two years. Now, did he, he, he was drafted into the air force as a doctor. Was this during Vietnam or something? Yeah. I don't know how it happened. Uh, I, 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 I don't I think he was drafted, but because he was in, you know, it was this was 69. I don't know why he didn't go to Vietnam, but he was stationed in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. And um, and he was still I guess it was because he wasn't a full doctor yet, I I believe. But we were there for two years. And I do remember that, you know, I've talked about it before, but I won't say that on your podcast because I hate when people say it on my podcast because I just think like, you know, my producer is just going to cut yeah. that out. Um, not that you've talked, not that what you're about to say, but that you we won't it we won't cut so, it out here because it just I mean, why not? No, it's Come OK. On. But uh, but no, I we used to fly back east. To visit our family, you know, my 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 grandparents and aunts and uncles and whatnot. And my dad used to be able to hop onto like a cargo plane, right, uh, through the airport. Oh wow! So you could, you know, how you know, you could just sort of jump on the plane, but it was not a passenger plane. And I remember there was it's a very significant two things happened. There was we flew back to Jersey with caskets, right, that came through Alaska wow. for some reason, and they were heading to the East Coast from wow. Vietnam. And so that happened. And I remember a few other memories along with that on that plane. You know, I, I knew there were boxes of bodies, but it was also we were all given a boxed lunch. And it was the first time I had VH use. <laughs> and and the, the pilot let me in the cockpit. So I was able to see all this stuff in the cockpit and stuff. So kind of dark, but kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah. So we were in Alaska for two years, which I remember vaguely but sort of succinctly. do you remember the winters uh, like do you remember wicked winters there or well i just remember it was weird because uh anchorage we lived off base but it was a small house and i remember there the neighbor was this woman esther who i thought was like 100 years old and she smoked and she was oh had all kinds of mystical jewelry and things and she gave us silver dollars and would talk to us and she was married to a uh, an inuit guy a man who was very quiet and wore a uh, mostly a one-piece outfit a lot. And I remember um, we were near the a inlet. one-piece outfit? Uh, like a jumpsuit yeah, or like some sort of... Yeah, kind of, okay. yeah. That was his, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he didn't talk much. And uh, she was a, a, a character. But I remember we lived near an inlet. So this was 1969 through 71. And they'd had that massive earthquake yeah. there in 63, right? So there was still just like, you know, just all this rubble. That we would walk out like, you know, half a mile towards where the water was. And there was just like houses and bricks and all kinds of shit to go through. And uh, so that was kind of wow. exciting. And that was where I experienced the first sort of earthquake. Too. Oh, wow. A little bit. That tremor. Yeah, I just remember that we were told for some reason my dad said we need to stand in the doorway, which I think is still a thing to do. But it never makes sense right. to me. My impulse when the earth is shaking is to run away from the structure. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at the coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? New Mexico is where yeah. my dad went after Alaska. He got out of the service, had a friend that had gone down there and set up a practice. It was sort of a one of those kind of boom cities, like it was growing Albuquerque, rapidly. is it? Yeah. Yeah. And this is 1971, 72. So he just went down there and set up a practice there. And, uh, you know, that's where I grew up, Albuquerque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how – I – that always surprised me knowing you because you just seemed well, I think just because I knew you in New York City. I just well, would I always never... had the connection. Yeah. You know, like I was always in cultured uh East Coast because I would, you know, I had my all my family was my grandparents were there. So I would, you know, New York was very important to me. I'd go yeah. back to New York, I'd visit, I'd go into the city, you know, I liked you, you know stuff that was related to New York. And even once I started to grow up in Albuquerque when I was 14 or 15, you know, you can drive when you're 15 there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You get your license, learner's permit, 14, nine months. And, uh, you know, I got a job across from the college and I started to sort of like get into art and music and college kids. And so I was always a little kind of forward thinking and, you know, aspiring intellectually, which I think made me a little more New Yorkish yeah. as opposed to uh, to towny foundation. But I've got a pretty solid towny foundation, but I'm also a Jew. So, you know, it's a, it's a mix. Was there, know, I, were there many Jews in Al- Albuquerque? There were up? some that got away, you know, that 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 ran, uh, you know, from the East Coast. You know. oh, I thought you meant uh, from Albuquerque. There's, you know, there's a, there was no, not yet. There's a, there was not a real indigenous Jew uh, culture, but there had been some that had been there a few generations. Yeah, in yeah. Import export business, you know, selling now, the blankets. Is your is your Jewish identity something that was? That just existed? Is it something that you were aware of? Is it something that that kids in Albuquerque made you more aware of? You know, like... I don't know. You know, it was sort of... uh, I was always sort of... You know, because of my grandparents, nobody was that religious. Yeah. You know, but it was pretty clear from, like, what my grandparents liked and how we were brought up. And, you know, you... You, you know, that the Jewish identity was, was there, was not avoided. Yeah. And, you know, the sort of, like the stuff my grandmother cooked, the the way they talked, you know, the, the comics Hol- they like. Holidays and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, and, and observing uh, religious holidays, right. My mom was sort of leaned towards, she liked Christmas decorations. I think there was a couple uh, Hanukkahs there and Christmases where we, we had a tree and it was yeah, kind of yeah. confusing, but she liked Christmas. Uh, and my brother, like, uh, I don't know, it, I just locked onto it because I thought it was pretty great because I liked comedians early on and most of them were Jewish and I, and I liked the whole banter of it, you know, Woody Allen movies and everything else. And, and some of those guys that I knew in Hebrew school in Albuquerque, I just talked to my friend David Kleinfeld last night and I don't talk to him a lot, but he called to see how I was doing, but I've known him since second grade, since yeah. Hebrew school. And, you know, we're still friends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Um, yeah, it's uh, no, I because it's just it's it's the kind of thing that I like. I remember, like, I don't know what it, I don't know any. I don't have any idea what it's like to be an other. You know, I just because I was right. born born white and Protestant in an area where everybody was white and Protestant. Yeah. In fact, I don't even think until until we moved because. Uh, we moved, we lived with my grandparents after my folks divorced up until third grade. And then my mom remarried and we moved to a neighboring town. And there was a kid in my class that was Jewish. And aside from my pediatrician, that was the second Jew I had come across in my entire life, you know? Right. And yeah, had, no, I w- had no idea what it even meant. Like, 
right. Jewish, I, I, you know? I was that guy for some people. Yeah, you know, the yeah. First, the first Jew. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't remember, like, you kind of know, if you're locked into the community, I mean, the, you know, we went, I went to Hebrew school and I was bar mitzvahed. So, you know, I was going to Sunday school and Wednesday, you know, uh, afternoon Hebrew school. And but you're going my to bar both. Mitzvah- you were going to both Sunday school and or Sunday school is is that a Hebrew school thing? It's a Hebrew school. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. I, I, you know, but the, it, I remember it being two times a week. I mean, you go Wednesday after regular school and then Sunday. I, think. I see. But you know, so that community, I remember everybody in it. I remember my class. I remember the people in it. So we had this life. Like all of us had the regular schools we went to, but you know, then we went to this and that, I think that, I don't know, you know, it was, there was two lives there in a way, but we went all the way through it together, you know, through bar mitzvahs, but I didn't get confirmed. I sort of got out of it. I I got distance from it. Uh, you know, when I was like 14 or 15, I, I didn't, you know, I'd go to the temple on holidays and stuff. Yeah. But I remember, you know, I only really remember one real anti-Semitic, uh, attack on me when I was in high school and Uh it was kind of ridiculous and I kind of know who it was. Yeah. Uh, but somebody had taken Arby's sauce, you know, the horsey sauce and the Arby's red sauce from Arby's and just loaded up my windshield wipers and then put uh, Nazi signs and Jewish stars on my windshield in Arby's sauce. And then when I went in to clean it, I, I moved the wipers. It just smeared it even more. And I, you know, it, it wasn't hostile, I guess, because it was Arby's, you know, products. But <laughs> it is, it is the known medium of the anti-Semite <laughs> horsey sauce. Yeah, but I kind of, I kind of know who it was, and you know, and his, it, it kind of tracks, you know. But most of my friends who I was with in high school, some of the uh, the Jews were there, but my, my friends, uh, the, 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 most of them were not Jewish. Yeah. But, but I had the Jewish guys that I, that I always felt a little closer to, you know, yeah, for yeah. all my life. It's weird. And do you have, you have a sip, you have a brother, right? Little brother. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. is it, is it like a fairly happy home growing up or is it, is it contentious? I guess or... I is a, no, like uh, my brother, my brother actually went to a Catholic high school. Uh, cause it was a good high school. My, yeah. My brother went to St. Pius, but I don't know, you know, my dad was a, a surgeon. He was away a lot. He was a bit temperamental, a little erratic. Um, when he was around, he was either detached or over-engaged. You know, my mother was kind of, uh, an artist kind of person. Uh, they were both sort of into their own trips and, and kind of like not much discipline, sort of reactive. I, I kind of, I, what I like to say is that I, I don't see my parents as parents. They were just these people I grew up with that had problems of their own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there was, it was a very fairly permissive, you know, there was nothing, we weren't really in, 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 uh, there was no wanting of anything. My dad made money and stuff, Yeah. but, uh, there wasn't any sort of nurturing connection. They weren't yeah. cold. It was just sort of, uh, I think they were my mother. Most of the attention was not loving. It was more concern or worry. Right. Like, you know, call us if you're going to be out too late. I really think they were, primarily concerned with what they would have to go through if one of us got fucked up somehow. So, (laughs) but then my brother, my brother ended up sort of committing his life to tennis and went to like Nick Boletari's tennis Institute in Florida for a few years. And we sort of lived different lives for, for a long time. Wow. I was busy smoking cigarettes and drinking and he seemed to be out to playing tennis tennis pro. Yeah. And is he, is he still in the tennis industry? Is that his job? Oh, for a while after college, he did it. He started a school and this, that, and the other thing. He's been through a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not completely clear what he's doing now. It is some, it's some sort of sales-oriented thing in the health industry, and he's now just recently moved to uh, to Georgia. Uh-huh. But he's okay. Yeah. Um. So what, what gets you out of Albuquerque? Stand-up? Do you start oh. doing stand-up there or, you know— no, I went to, I went to, you know, I left, uh, you know, I kind of panicked. I was not that, uh, on top of it in high school and not a great student because yeah. I couldn't pay attention and, you know, I don't know, but, uh, I panicked and I wasn't going to go to college and my senior year of high school, I panicked. I'm like, I gotta get out of here. And somehow applied myself and pulled my grades around to some degree to where I could get into some small kind of, you know, liberal arts college outside of Boston. Uh-huh. And I went there for a year and I transferred to BU and I, I went to Boston University for another four years. I did a little stand up in college and I did a lot of different stuff. I Why Boston? 
because I just thought that was where people go to college. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, you're not wrong. Like, you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is like, like a good place. Yeah, every every third person is going to college when you go to. Yeah, Boston. and I had the opportunity, and I kind of uh, I I don't think I squandered it really. I you know I tried to to do stuff. I you know I wrote for the paper. I did theater. I did you know photography. You know I did. Uh, edited the literary journal, you know, kind of, you know, I got a English degree in a film studies minor. And, and then like I immediately left and went to Hollywood. And after I graduated college and was, I did plenty of Coke in college, but then I got really did graduate level cocaine use when I moved to Hollywood and got oh, a really? job as a, yeah, I got a job as a doorman at the comedy store and oh, yeah. you know, right after college and got pretty fucked up in that first year, hanging around there with Kennison and those crew. And, coked myself into psychosis, got clean the first time, went back to Boston to start over again. Yeah. And that's sort of where, you know, I kind of uh, met again, like Dave Cross and, you know, and Janine and those people. This was like 1988, 87, uh -huh. 88. And that's when I, you know, I, I came in second in a big contest in, uh, in Boston in 88. And that's when I, that's when I, I could stop working at the coffee shop and, that was when I started working as a comic, 1988, and I haven't had a day job since. Wow. That's really One way something. or the other. One that's way really, or the other. That's really something. You know? And how yeah. old are you in 88? I was 25. 25? That's, that's... It wasn't a great living, but, you know... No, but, I know. Yeah. No, but listen, that's the thing, is that you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta look at things in relative terms, and that's a big success, that you, from the age 25 on, have made your living doing this shit, yeah. Is it that's you know how many people don't do that set out to do that and don't do that you're like in a very you know it's rarefied yeah, one way air or the that other. you're living yeah one way it was always about stand up too I was never a writer I never wanted to be a writer for other people I I never was an improv guy you know it was like it was doing gigs yeah you know I was it was doing one nighters and doing gigs. And I, you know, I moved to New York in 89 and I was driving up to Boston to do the gigs. It was definitely hand to mouth and I was barely making it. And then like, I kind of started using drugs again. Then I moved to San Francisco to try and regroup. And then, then I got a job on television, you know, uh, that I didn't want cause I wasn't that kind of comic, but I hosted was that, that, that hosting job. Yeah. Short yeah. attention span theater. Yeah, Yeah. And that was like 92. And that got me into that world, taught me how to read prompter, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I and did just okay on, with it. Just be on camera. They're like, yeah, and I hated it. I hated. Yeah. The, I hated the job. Yeah. How come? What? What didn't you like? It just wasn't suited to you. Well, I was sort of. I sort of saw myself as kind of a rebellious, outlawish kind of comic. You know, pushing. and this seemed jive. It yeah, it did. You know, and, yeah. and you know, especially at the beginning, I had to have the writer fired, and I brought in John Groff, who ended up being oh, the right. head writer. I gave John his first writing job to make my show something that I at least could be proud of as a comic. So he yeah. came in and we wrote jokes and sketches and monologues and pieces because the show was really just hosting, building a show out of promotional materials, like yeah. clips and shit. It was, you know, where you'd run it and you'd have a theme, but a lot of it would be like the Tonight Show theme, but it was all because we got promotional material around like Johnny Carson's greatest hits being released on video. We could use it. Right. You know, it was, it was kind of a, 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 a scam, but... But like I said, you know, John came in and like uh, and he wrote for me, and and I learned some some skills. And that was around the time that Conan started too. Yep. You guys started in '94, right? Yep. Yeah, in fact, I, I remember when Jonathan came over. That was oh, he's been working on short yeah. attention span theater. Yeah. With me, and yeah. Did, and did John Stewart host that for a minute? He hosted the original version of it on on the original Comedy Channel with Patty Rosper. Okay. Right. So. So I, I ended that thing. You know, it yeah. went from Jon Stewart to like Joe Bolster to I think Patty Rossborough hosted it on her own for a while. Marcus Allen hosted it. Like it went through. Yeah, there were two shows that were coming out of Marcus HBO Allen, the football player. No, the, the radio oh. personality. From, oh, OK. I think he's a Sacramento guy. He's still around. OK. Um, what well, wasn't a comic. Bolster was a comic. But I sort of hosted the last incarnation of it. Yeah. And um, like there were two shows coming out of HBO downtown. It was stand up, stand up and short attention span theater and politically incorrect started down there, too. Uh -huh. Like HBO downtown had a piece of the original comedy channel. It was was half. It was like a quarter HBO downtown and then Viacom. 
yeah and yeah. then you know and then they, viacom pushed hbo downtown out when it became comedy central or at some right. point and then it, it became all viacom right but, but I wasn't uh, ex exit fifty seven. Yes, Amy said exit, exit, they were in that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was hosting Short Attention Fan when that's when I met Jody and Stoli and Mitch and uh, and uh, Paul and uh, yeah, all those guys. This was like the pre Strangers with Candy. Yeah, Stephen Colbert. I, Stephen uh, Colbert, right? Yeah, in Paul Danello and Paul yeah, Danello, Amy Sedaris, yeah, and uh, Jody. Yeah, my uh, neighbor. Yeah. And uh, what's it, Nick Na Napier or uh, Mick Napier? Mick Napier was around. Yeah. And who was the guy that produced that? Uh, what was his name? He was Joe Forrester. Joe, Joe Forrester. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where I met all of them. And I was so embarrassed because they were doing such cutting edge, interesting stuff. And I'm reading fan mail from 12 year olds, you know, who and I'm sending them my short attention span theater postcards. <laughs> I know. It's all a living, though. I mean, I, I couldn't, when I, I was, couldn't look at it like that. I just fucking, I was in prison, but I was making, I had health coverage. I was yeah. able to afford to move to New York. I was commuting from San Francisco every other week yeah. to do for six months. Wow. I would, you know, we would do, we rehearsed on Tuesday or like Monday read through and then Tuesday shoot four shows. And I fly back to San Francisco and then fly back on Sunday. It was ridiculous. Why? Why didn't you just live in New York? Were you, I wouldn't commit it? to it. Uh, I see. And I was with a woman who wanted to live in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. But then we moved back uh, the second half of the first year. You're also, that's, when you're younger, that's the kind of thing where that, like, I'm doing this thing I don't believe in. Like, that can really bug you. Whereas you get older, and especially, like, once you have kids, like, Yeah, but know. I never did that. I'm, yeah, I've always no, been I kind know. of weird about it. About, yeah. like, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And I did a lot of it because I didn't know what else to do that. Like I did like jobs in you know in these dumb roles, and I just couldn't get any traction as a comic. I remember hosting some bits for, for VH1 that were ridiculous, yeah. trying to move what, me into a host kind of thing. What was the word like? What was your greatest fear about doing those kind of things? Like, what was it that bugged you the most? Like that some your friends would see it and think it was bogus, that you were embarrassed to be on it. You know, well, just that what, what whatever I knew about my sense of my persona or my personality or, or what I set out to do was yeah. that there were jobs where there's like, there's no way I can be me here. Yeah. Like this, you know, this is a scripted thing, you know? And they're like, you know, you can put a little, you know, spice it up a little with your thing. And I'm like, I'm not like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's all or nothing, man. Yeah. You know, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. So being, you know, neutered like that was just like, so constricting and so horrible like yeah. i remember like there was a bit that we did like when i finally like really crumbled the first time where I, where i got sober and shit is that you know i was living in new york in queens with my wife i was doing you know i was hiding my drug and alcohol use i was like literally dying inside i was hosting a thing for the metro channel that was something that i actually first did on conan was the talk show on the street thing where uh -huh. I put a desk on the street. Oh yeah. So I pitched that as a segment for the Metro channel, which was a local New York cable channel. And yeah. they were like, you know, yeah, let's do it. And we did a bunch of episodes of me in different parts of New York. And I'm like, well, I guess this is, this is how I'm going to be. I'm going to be married and I'm going to be struggling and I'm going to be doing a bit on the Metro channel that, you know, and I, you know, and I'm fucked up on drugs. I just wanted to die. Uh -huh. And then I met a woman who, you know, who saw, who was a fan of mine, who, you know, got me into AA, got me sober. We started having an affair. I left my first wife and, um, and, you know, it got us out. She, yeah, I don't know, I got sober because of her. And I think we ended up coming to LA because of her. I got a deal out of Montreal, uh, in eight, you know, fucking 2002. And I moved out on that and she didn't want to live in New York anymore after 9-11 and I ended up marrying her. But that's all, you know, that's whatever. <laughs> and now that's yeah. over, you know, but uh, but that's the course of it, you, you know, is that. Yeah. So to answer your question, it was I knew that I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I knew that, you know, I wanted to fully realize whatever it is my potential was or my talents were. And whenever I was in a situation where it was clear I couldn't do that and there was nothing I could do about it. Uh, it was never about money for me. It was really about fuck this. And I, I never had kids, you know, and I, and yeah, I don't, yeah. and I don't regret it. 
I, I just think I was too panicky and too selfish and to, to really sort of focus in on it. And I, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm okay with it. Yeah. It's either something that uh, I think, I think the, the either, either kind of like, cause for me, it was always a natural, like I'm going to have kids. Like I just, it was right. just a always kind of like there. That. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and I, but it's like, or you just don't. And I, you know, and there's certainly all kinds of reasons to, to bolster either side of that issue, you know, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't have any beef with it, you know, but yeah. you, you know, I've been doing material about it now, which is pretty funny about not having them, like not having anything against them. But one of the reasons I'm happy I don't have them is because I'm, I'm in my fifties now. And, you know, when I see guys I haven't seen in a while, and if you ask a guy in his fifties, you know, how his kids are, it's never a great story. You know, it's yeah. always, <laughs> it's always like half a great story. It's like, well, the yeah, one's yeah. doing okay, but the yeah, other one yeah. kind of got away from us. I don't know what. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Well, it's, that's, you know, they're, fu- they end up, you start with these cute little fucking things and then they just turn into people. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> exactly. then like, and then, then, then what a fucking crapshoot that is when, you know, exactly. any, any yeah, they're person, their own thing. Can't yeah. control it. Yeah. Oh, well, there they yeah. are. We did what we could. Now they're uh-huh. this. <laughs> Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? So when the, what, what, in, like, how, how did you start to think, like, I'm going to do a podcast? Like, what, how did podcast even enter it into It was sort of your... a desperation thing in a way. You know, I had, uh, you know, getting through that second divorce was difficult because she really went after me and I was going broke and there was no end to it. And you're in LA. Yeah, I'm in yeah. LA, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have a gig. I just got back, you know, it was just, you know, I'm doing stand up, but you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big name or nothing. Yeah. And I'd done plenty of, I'd done a year and a, sorry. I'd done a couple of years on radio and I enjoyed it and I think I was good at it. But, uh, but once the divorce really started to hit and, and the, you know, and and her lawyers were putting the screws to me because she wanted the house and there was no legal way for her to get it. They were just trying to bankrupt me into giving it to her. And, uh, it was, you know, it was bad dude. And what happened was somehow or another, you know, after air America had collapsed and I'd been fired, you know, before, you know, a couple of times from air America and, you know, somebody else got in there, the new CEO, and there was some faction of the old guard there and they wanted to do a thing with me and do a streaming show and streaming wasn't really a thing yet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was like, well, I'll do it if you pay me, you know, what I used to get there, but. More importantly, if you give me enough money up front to pay this woman off so I can stop this thing, I'll do it. So they gave me enough money up front to give to my ex-wife and stop the hemorrhaging and and finalize the divorce. Wow. And so I went back to New York and I did a streaming show and I was so emotionally shattered and fucked up. I had to take the gig just to get out of the divorce process because I was going broke and I was going to lose everything. So, but I was not in any emotional condition to do a show, yeah. especially a daily show, a streaming show. Yeah. So I had them pull in Sam Cedar, which the guy who was producing the show did not want to do because he didn't trust Sam and he didn't like Sam. And, you know, he didn't really want to do a strictly political show and Sam was going to make it that way. But I was like, I don't give a fuck. I can't yeah. cover politics. I, can't, I don't know how funny I can be. And I didn't tell him this, but, and I pulled in Brendan McDonald, who used to be a producer on my original show, who was at that point at Sirius producing, Uh I think, Rosie O'Donnell's show and on sort of a career track, uh, managerially and production wise at Sirius. 
And I got him enough money to make it worth his while. And we pulled him in because I trusted him. And we did this streaming show for a year that nobody watched because it wasn't a thing yet. And we daily? put a lot of money. Was, was it daily? Yeah, days? Break Room yeah, yeah. Live. Oh, wow. And, you know, and the writing was on the wall. We did everything we could to make it great. And we really were doing things. We were doing external things. We were making short films. I mean, we put a lot into that. Yeah. And we did everything we could. And it was funny and it was weird. And it was, you know, it's just, it was, I, I don't want to say ahead of its time, but streaming wasn't accessible. Right. It, it just wasn't. It was, it was yeah. 2000 and uh, what year was that? I guess seven or eight, you know, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't, the technology wasn't there. So they fire us, but they don't kick us out of the building. And I'm talking to Brendan, and I see that people... <laughs> they, they don't kick us out of the building? What does that mean? Look, dude, when you do radio, like, you know, they, they want you away from the mics. So like, yeah, that's yeah. why you always hear those stories. It's like, I got done with my show, and they said, you know, pack your shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's usually the way it goes. Right, right. But we were still under contract for a month, and they didn't bother oh, us. And they're a oh, liberal I see, network, I see, So we still I had see. offices there. Yeah. So I, was, I told Brendan, I'm like, you know, Corolla's doing this thing. You know, Pardo's doing it. You know, yeah. uh, um, uh, Jimmy Dore was doing it. I saw a few, comments, Kevin Smith, not a lot of people. Yeah. But there were people doing it. I think Benson might have been at it. And I'm like, look, is, look I'm good on these mics. I mean, like, is there any way we can figure this shit out? And yeah. Like, can we do a podcast, whatever the fuck that is? And he's like, look, I'll look into it. You know, and he reached out to, uh, you know, Apple and they were like, you know, well, we, we're just a, you know, we're, we're a template, you know, we're not a, a server, right. but we'll put, you know, we want people who know what they're doing to do these things. Cause you know, we're trying to pull people into our technology. Yeah. It was, it was always just an advertisement for pods, iPods yeah. for Apple, but they were willing to help promote and shit. So, you know, he, Brandon figured it out. You know, we got a server, you know, he figured out how to post it. You know, Apple was supportive and, you know, and, and we started it. We started it at Air America after hours. We knew the night tech. So we would go back. We had our security cards and, you know, we committed to just all we committed to was a new show every Monday and Thursday. We didn't commit to a format. We got in there, did, you know, Brendan got on the board. And, uh, you know, we started bringing guests up the freight elevator and doing phoners and having segments. And we just knew that WTF would be an umbrella idea for a lot uh-huh. of different segments. Um, and that's the way we did it for like the first six to 10 episodes was kind of like at night at Air America under the radar. Kind of stealing studio time. That's right. We just, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually I was like, how do we do this at home? How am I going to do this? So I got to move back to L.A. You know, I can't stay here forever. And because uh, I had a house here and, um, you know, and I, I talked to Jesse Thorne and, you know, who who I knew did uh, a, a sort of a, a podcast who was savvy uh, yeah. around equipment. He told me what mics to use. And, you know, I set up in my garage with it was a functioning garage. It was just a bunch of crap in there. I and remember. I it, yeah. Right. Yeah. You were there, but I, I think by the time you came, I might. Did I have mic booms yet? I don't even know. But we I think you of, did. I right. think you did. But yeah. initially, I was. I had those dumb little kind of like po- you know, those mics that you set on a table. Yeah. Those stands with these SM7 mics. Right. But I was putting these mics, which are designed for booms, on the sure, stand. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I was going at it, and you know, running it right into a MacBook through that dumb little mixer. So that was really the birth of it. And it was sort of desperation and and uh, having something to do. There was no way to make money at it. Yeah. So, you know, there was we all kind of figured that out in our own time together. All the original podcasters like do you you create a a membership thing where they have to pay to, to get the thing? And we you know, that was you would. How do you build an audience? So we really kind of at the beginning were offering we went we created a site where people could donate and get swag like npr like if you gave us a one-time donation of 10 bucks we'd send you a sticker a t-shirt you could get it was like five or ten you know but we we what we were trying to get people to do was monthly if you would donate five or ten dollars or twenty dollars monthly we had a one-time donation of 250 yeah we didn't send you a bunch of shit but a lot of people signed up and a lot of people came over from Air America, even though I wasn't doing politics anymore. Yeah. But we had enough people, you know, sign up for the monthly nut thing, 
You know, and I had a, a whole house full of un- envelopes of swag to mail out. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. I was yeah. running to the valley to get T-shirts. I was having some punk girl make. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> and you were doing it yourself. You were your own shipping department. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. And I had a roommate at my house because I wasn't making enough money. And she had was staying at the house when I was in New York still. And she, I'd met her in New York. And she w- was living with me for a while. And then I had my friend Don, you know, move in with me. Like it was, it was all crazy. And after the divorce and yeah, so that was the beginning of it, but we got enough people to sign up to where we're making a little money monthly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was doing all my own books. Getting out, getting out from under. Yeah. You know, and I, I'd saved a little money because of the job, you know, but, but that's how it started. And it took time. To, yeah. For all of us to evolve a way of making money, you know, we were doing the Adam and Eve ads, you know, and audible yeah, yeah, ads. Yeah. There was only right. and a few uh, and coffee. There was some kind of yeah, and coffee. Well, because coffee I remember... they had they had come on during the streaming show. They were the only sponsor we had on our streaming show, and we did it for coffee. They'd send us coffee, uh, you know, justcoffee.coop, Who I still they still send me coffee, and um, yeah, we kept them on. But then, you know, the business evolves, you know, uh, you know, ad platforms came, terrestrial advertisers from radio. We used to deal with their metal men, uh, you know, terrestrial advertisers. We deal with them directly, deal with you know, but then Midroll and Earwolf and the network. It just grew into this thing where everybody has a podcast now. But but it's what's interesting is the sort of the adversity that many of us kind of, you know, came, came through to figure out how to make this a job mm-hmm. or how to make it uh something that you know you could you could make money at as the medium grew we all grew and and there was a sort of a camaraderie around it too because many of us had to confront the 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 patent troll issue yeah. which was uh, that whole chapter of podcasting which a lot of people don't know about was was crazy and scary and a lot of people really didn't know how dire it was uh and a lot of people came together what what is EFF. it what, what is it that that you're talking about cuz you know it was basically, uh, you know, patent trolling is, you know, there are inventors or people that buy patents that try to sort of backload them into current technology and claim that they own the patent on it and then either get paid out by the technology or whoever owns it or, or you know, create a licensing situation. And a guy had showed up saying that he had invented podcasting with some sort of a uh, uh, sort of cassette timing machine that was created in the eighties and that sort of backloaded the, the patent to fit, you know, the foundation of what podcasting meant, which is basically delivering a podcast in a timely fashion through a, 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 a publishing uh, kind of, app. it was relatively confusing, but the truth was, is that the way these patent trolls work is they, they fucking lean yeah. on you and they, they sue you. And they went after Corolla and a few other podcasts and all of the patent trolls work out of, they set up a, a phony front business of their corporation or whatever in Texas. And they have a judiciary, uh, there that's sensitive and, uh, and on the dole for patent trolls, it was a whole sort of infrastructure to it. But the idea was he was going to come after podcasters and, you know, demand money for infringing on his patent. Yeah. And and or else create a licensing situation where we would all have to give that guy a nut. Yeah. You know, anybody who did a podcast. Yeah. If the patent was proven to be valid. And no one quite understood, you know, what the fuck was going on and all of us got educated around, you know, some of us we there were a handful of us that were sent letters saying, "Look, you owe us money, a licensing money." for using our patent. Yeah. And we were like, what's this? This is garbage, right? And Cedar was like, this is real, man. This is real. And I'm like, what do you mean it's real? It's real. He can sue us all and he can fucking put us out of business. So the broader podcasting community was like, nah, you know, whatever. But, you know, we had this weird meeting at Corolla's house, me and you know someone from Kevin Smith's operation, from Jay Moore's operation. We're like, how are we going to address this? Because Kevin was actually going to court. With oh, really? Yeah, so we tried to get him money to defend him, and I think he ended up paying out a little bit to these guys. But ultimately what happened, that the miracle of it was, is that the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, is a nonprofit that deals with 
technology, judicial technology stuff. And I had, we had a relationship with them, you know, over, you know, kind of helping them, you know, bring people to them to, to fund them, to, to, to fight for, you know, both, um, uh, against censorship, but also about internet safety and about issues that deal, you know, primarily with legalities within electronic media, you know, and it's a non-for-profit. Yeah. So we had done some fundraising for them. And I've been in touch with them around the patent troll thing, you know, like just asking for information. But ultimately what happened was, you know, at some point I said, look, w this seems like something that you guys do. Yeah. You know, this is an issue that you guys can take up. And somehow or another, it sort of came to pass that they did. And they had a bunch of pro bono lawyers and, you know, think tank people and people that did the work for them at Harvard and stuff to kind of take on this troll in court, which they did. Yeah. And, and you know, it's all based on finding prior art, they call it, which proves that the technology or the root of it preexisted their patent. Yeah. And, but it's a whole process. But they invalidated the patent. They were able to fight it and win. And that guy, and so it cost that guy a bunch of money, so did he end up getting at least a little bit of pain inflicted? For doing that don't no. know i and we don't no one really talks about yeah, it anymore. yeah and you know it's sort of off the radar i don't know there was an appeal but i don't think it went through you know but you know it was like a real thing and it was a real panic yeah. and it could have it could have fucking really you know fucked the whole game yeah. up because most of the time these patent trolls work with tech uh uh big tech yeah you know microsoft right. or whatever if microsoft has an app that's got a thing that you know someone can prove they have the patent for their their game is like we'll take you to court, but most of these bigger rich companies, you know, pay them off. Yeah, yeah. They sue them, right. and they're like, "Here's a million bucks." Yeah, yeah. That's how they. That's their business model. What? A, what? A, but they put a lot of smaller companies out of business. What a fun way to live! What a great way to live! What a good way to People feel good disgusting. about yourself. Yeah. Now I want to go I, because for me, when I first became aware of WTF, uh. One thing that struck me was, and I mean, in hearing you explain about where you were in your life, but it was a very, it was kind of a, you were working in a somewhat different way in terms of like being a lot more revelatory and being a lot more sort of confessional, I think, than you had been previously. I mean, you always had kind of talked about yourself, but not like in kind of personal nuts and bolts things. And a lot of those well, think, interviews were very specifically about your relationship with the person that you were talking to. Right, right. And the well, history. that's how it started. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was, the, that was the foundation of it. And I think it was because I'd been so bitter and I'd been through so much and I'd been kind of humbled by life that, you know, what I usually say about it is I think if you listen to those early interviews of the first hundred or so, it's me inviting over, you know, celebrities to talk about my problems, yeah. you know, like, but there was a, a thing that, that, you know, all of it was like, who do I know? And who do I know that knows people? You know, that was how I booked yeah. it. But there was a lot of um, amends to make. There was a lot of sort of, you know, curiosity I had there. And I really sort of needed to reintegrate into my, you know, to, to sort of reach out to my community to kind of like help me you know, get my head together and get my life yeah. together and get my heart together. So, yeah, there was a lot of that. And I think that was the foundation of the way I approach uh, whatever I do, if you want to call them interviews, yeah. you know. So it was confessional in that, yeah, that was all I had to go yeah. on. In, in my comedy, it always been that way, but I wasn't not... I was not beholden to being funny on the podcast. Yeah. So, and I knew that, and I and I embraced that, you know, immediately did you have any so there was there any hesitance about like i'm spilling too much um you know yeah of course i mean i got myself into hot water with women i was with or with people i talked about but but it was also like it, i found that people gravitated towards yeah. it it was not i i think it was unique to me but i think there have been people that work in that format before but i was really you know i was really going through things yeah and and no i don't have any regrets about it but i learned over time that like i shouldn't I should be a little more respectful of other people in my right. life before I drag them into my story because, you know, you go through relationships, you go through heartbreak, you go through problems with people. And if you talk about it all publicly, it was brought to my attention by a girlfriend that like they, they can't, you know, offer their side. Yeah. Of you know, whether it's whatever it is. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I became a little more careful about maintaining some privacy 
and also you know how much i include uh about the people in my life was it so was it uh was it just purely a sort of like a urge a personal urge or did you also think like this will be good listening like was there was there a professional aspect to thinking uh, to to making the show that way or was it just simply something you had to do at that time i just wanted it to be me yeah. you know i knew like you know and also i knew that i had a talent for this type of microphone yeah. you know it's not not everybody can do these things yeah. and i i just knew that like i i like yeah this type of uh medium for for expressing myself and uh and i somehow or another my ego or my personality works well in Mm -hmm. this format um so i was more about kind of like just building a relationship with an audience but just being myself and i you know like and it was weird at first because i still saw myself as a comic doing a thing but then i became very known for being an interviewer and it was a tough transition to make when people are like you're a great interviewer i'm like yeah but you like my comedy right and there was this weird sort of thing where people were you know didn't really know my yeah. comedy so i had a big f- fan base with the podcast and i do comedy and they're like we should go out and support mark because i don't know how good he is at the comedy <laughs> i'm like this is what i do so Kind of creating a, you know, that world where, you know, you know, now I come from a lot of different places where, you know, like I'm doing acting and I'm do, I do the stand up yeah. and I do the podcast and, you know, so people know me in a lot of different ways, but I, I've kind of found peace with it. And I, and I'm glad I've, I, that the whole thing has afforded me the opportunities to do all these things I had really let yeah. go of. I mean, that was the thing about starting the podcast was I really let go of shit. Yeah. Like I was down for the count. Yeah. And I knew, like, you know, whatever dream I had to be a relevant comic or even a working comic in any big way, that's over. Huh. You know, whatever acting ideas, whatever ideas I'd had about myself and how my career in show business was going to go is done. Was it really over, you know, that, over? Or were you thinking, like, maybe I can make this be the thing that starts that up? No. Again? It was over, over. No. I didn't. Do, do what? I just need to keep busy. Yeah. You know, and there was no indication that you know, these things yielded yeah, anything, yeah. you know, it was just a skill set I knew I yeah. had, but I didn't think I, that because of this, I was going to get a TV yeah. show. You're going to finally or, or get, get your bigger, sitcom yeah, right, yeah, or get a bigger TV audience or whatever. I just thought, I thought what I was looking at was being, you know, uh, you know, a known act, a respected guy, an odd act, but you know, a guy who did B rooms or did fallouts or, you know, you know, kind of, you know, scrambled to put a, a life together through doing stand-up, mm-hmm. which was a horror to me. I really didn't have no recollection of knowing what it would yield, but I knew that in my heart that I had some, you know, kind of closure around letting this stuff go. Yeah. And there was a freedom to that. It's sad. And I was definitely sad. And, uh, but, you know, I was plowing on and I wasn't committing suicide. And, you know, I was going to, you know, plow ahead. Yeah. And, and then, you know, this shit started to happen, but I stayed sober and I stayed focused and I stayed active and, and I kept doing stand up and I, and I kept doing this thing and, yeah. and, and, and Brendan and I were into it. We worked our asses off and we still kind of work our asses off in our own ways and, you know, put our whole life into this thing, which we did. Yeah. And, and, and we paid off. And now I don't know that people, you know, I think I was there at the I wasn't the beginning of podcasting, but I was certainly popularized the medium. Oh, certainly. And I think, and I think that some people respect that. Yeah. Uh, you were the first person you know, to get but, a president on, you know, sure. I mean, that's kind yeah. of a big deal. Yeah. And you know, and, and, and now everybody does them and it's like, it's, it's a little weird and it's, a everybody upsetting, does but, them. Uh, yeah. I mean, look at me it's here. True. I am, you know, Nah, but like, it's just like, it's been this sort of like weird, technologically accessible means of expression, uh, for people with the big idea that they're going to do something. And, and, you know, I, I don't begrudge anybody, any of it or, or, or diminish anyone's attempts at doing it, but you know, it it is a little odd. The whole thing's a little odd to have been here through the whole evolution of this business. Yeah. Well, where's it? What's next? That's the, the second question is where are you going? Like, uh, you just, well, kinda... look, man, you know, right now, you know, we're, I'm doing this thing. You know, we're still doing the podcast. I've got interviews ba- backed up through, I think mid April, you know, maybe we can get, start getting people back over here at some point. A couple people have come, 
uh, you know, Glow, I got one more season of Glow yeah. to shoot. You, that was sort of stopped. Do you like acting? I do. Yeah. I do. I'm, I'm starting to like it more. Yeah. Uh, because I'm starting to engage in the idea that I'm an actor and that, like, I can make sort of choices and do those things. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I just did a movie uh, with uh, Jennifer Hudson, the Aretha Franklin movie, where I had kind of a big part playing a real guy. Yeah. So kind of doing that research and kind of figuring that stuff out, you know, I'm starting to get the hang of, you know, the idea of making choices and, you know, living in that moment. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I always wanted to do it. And I, you know, sometimes I find it tedious, but other times like, well, maybe I should engage in it. And I found yeah. that, that I, that I like it. So at some point, hopefully we'll pick up the season of glow and finish that. And like, I just did this special, which I'm very proud of. And I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens if and when we all get through this and and that's uh you know that's sort of where i'm at yeah, yeah. what's uh what's the point of it all like what it, i mean i mean i know sobriety has got a big has had a uh, i imagine is would you say that's like one of the biggest components of of your growth and where you are now and i you know i think that it you know it just it, it helped me you know rewire my brain properly yeah uh you know cuz i did do uh, uh, quite a bit of program and, uh, yeah, I think that helped me through, you know, processing, you know, a lot of the, uh, things that character traits that all addicts and alcoholics kind of share yeah. and, you know, between that and sort of doing some rigorous self-examination and whatnot, it's, it was very important. And I think not using is, is a better yeah, life yeah. Yeah, for me. Um, and definitely had, you know, it definitely, uh, I, I'm very grateful for it and i do think it changed my life for the better and continues mm -hmm. and what what's it all mean or what's it all yeah for? i don't do i don't really you, do you know. have anything to teach anyone well yeah i mean i i guess i do you know and when i talk on my podcast i i don't know in in a general sense I, right now i'm just trying to find some sort of window in between you know the the fear that we're going through and the you know really understanding what i have control over and what i don't and like, I don't know that I ever knew how to really enjoy anything in my life properly. You know, I think I was looking for relief more than sort of really enjoying things. I was looking for answers and looking for relief. And now I'm just sort of, I'm trying to have some sort of, um, you know, sense of like a lot of things just don't fucking matter anymore, Andy, as, as I get older. A lot of the things that were so pressing and dire and important and caused me so much stress and aggravation and, and self-flagellation just really don't fucking matter yeah. anymore and, and so i like in between now and you know getting whatever kills me uh you know i'd like to experience some sort of peace of mind and, and joy mm -hmm. if i'm capable of it what matters most to you now i think being true to myself and being a decent people person to other people yeah. and and not causing other people, you know, grief and pain and, and also trying to be uh, helpful to other people, but also like, you know, not being too hard on myself. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, yeah, this, buddy. Is a, this is, uh, you know, you're one of my favorite people and, uh, oh, and thanks, I've always, pal. yeah, no. And I, it's, I've always, um, I've always very much enjoyed your brain and your heart. And, oh, uh, and I, as, as well me with yeah. you, my friend, I'm always happy to see and, you. And, uh, and thanks for doing this and thanks for, you know, paving the way for Johnny come lately's like me for fucking, for oh, all I the fucking dilettantes like me. Oh, come on. You're welcome. You're a professional broadcaster. You have every right to do what you're doing and I wish you the best of luck. With Thank you. you so much. And, um, anyways, uh, yeah, you're, you're special again. Does it's on Netflix and it's called. Yes. End times fun. End times fun. I'm going to check it out. And oh, yeah, and right. glow yeah. and glow is glow. The three seasons are yeah, there. Yeah. I you know, there's three seasons of glow up. I'm I also have a small part in the new Mark Wahlberg movie on Netflix called Spencer Confidential. Oh, cool. Um I'm very proud of the work I did in uh the show Easy, which is also a Netflix show. I'm 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 in three seasons of that. That's an anthology show out of Chicago, uh created by Joe Swanberg. Oh, cool. All right. Well, Mark Marin, thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. And, Take care yeah, of yourself. And I, I will see you around campus. 
And when we can go outside again. Yes, yes. exactly. All right. And uh, thank you all for listening to another episode of The Three Questions. And we will check in with you next time. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galitza Hayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.